Thank you so much for joining us for the Summit Podcast. This message was produced with you in mind, and we'd love to hear your story of how God has shown himself faithful in your life. Email us at mystory@summittogether.com. Great to see you today. My name is Mel. I'm the lead pastor here at the Summit, and uh, I am so glad you're worshiping with us today. So thank you for being here. Uh, if you're watching online at summittogether.com and, uh, and you're, you're watching live or maybe you're listening to this podcast later, whatever the case is, I want to say thanks for worshiping with us, wherever you are and however you're joining us today. I know that God is going to bless you. If he hasn't already, I know he will. God's, uh, God's been doing some great things here at the Summit. How many of you were here this last week for our Ignite conference, for any part of that? Okay, a bunch of you were. Um, man, we had a great time. It was so cool to see God work and move and uh, just some of the things that God did this last week in our presence. So I just want to say thank you for those of you that were here. If you weren't here, all of those services are available on our website. So you can go to our website and uh, click on the media tab and you can find all those services. So uh, please do yourself a favor and go back and listen to those uh, when you get a chance because they, they were fantastic. And just so you know, if you weren't here, I didn't preach, so I'm not promoting myself at all. It was, man, my message was so awesome. You got to hear it. Uh, it's not like that at all. Uh, Jim Hennessy brought a great word. And, um, and just so you know, uh, I'm, I'm already working on a date to bring him back for 2016. Uh, so yeah, there you go. So I've, we've got some great things in store. I'm really excited. Um, hey, let me tell you about a couple things real quickly. Tonight at 5 p.m. is our membership encounter. And if you are new to the church, or maybe you want to find out more about the summit, I would really encourage you come join us and just be a part of our membership encounter. It doesn't mean you have to join the church. Uh, we don't try to brainwash you or make you drink the Kool-Aid or anything like that. All we do is, uh, all we do is just talk a little bit about who we are, uh, what God is calling us to be and, and kind of where we're going in the future. And then we invite people to be a part of that. So if that means for you, you want to join the church, that's great. If that means you just want to find a small group to get plugged into, that's great. Maybe you're looking for an opportunity. That's fantastic. So whatever your place is, we want to help you find your place. And so we want to encourage you, join us tonight. So we got food and there's also childcare. So if you've got kids and you want to bring them, um, come be a part of that. Now, we don't want you to drop your kids off and then go mommy, daddy, date night or anything like that. Uh, so we want you to be at the membership encounter. So uh, it's could join us for that tonight. Um, I also want to remind you, it's crazy to think Easter is just a few weeks away, but we are close now at this point. We're getting really close. Um, and my wife will close out service in just a little bit, but um, we've got our Easter egg hunt this, uh, this Saturday. It's going to be fantastic. Uh, 25,000 Easter eggs out at Mac Park, and we want you to be there. Bring your family. Bring everybody you know out to that. Uh, it'll be a great experience. Um, and then uh, two weeks from today, uh, is that right? Two weeks from today is Easter? Golly, that's crazy. So two weeks from today is Easter, and, uh, and I'm really excited about Easter weekend. It's going to be fantastic. Um, and, and just so you know, we don't do anything crazy. We don't have cantatas or like uh, Easter productions or anything like that. We kind of just have church because everybody comes to church on Easter Sunday. And so we don't have to do anything crazy that day. We want to show people who God is. We want to show people um, what, what God is all about. So we're going to have church that day, and uh, it won't be too abnormal. Normal, but we want you to be here. Bring your friends. Uh, and services that weekend are going to be Saturday night at 6.30, Sunday morning at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. And so I want to encourage you, if you are normally a 9.30 or an 11 a.m. attender, I guess that's the only options you've got. <laughs> uh, if, if, if you normally come to one of those normal service times we have on Easter, I want to encourage you, please pray about coming on Saturday night or the early service on Sunday. We're going to have kids ministry and, uh, and full worship at all of our services. So if you can make it to one of those earlier services, I would love for you to, because we want to make sure we have as much space as possible in this auditorium for all the guests we're going to have, because we will have tons of guests 
guests that weekend. Um, and it's really cool. God's doing some amazing things at the summit. We had last weekend with, with a lot of our students, a lot of our IEP students were gone for spring break. We still had a, a, a set a record for attendance. We had 847 people at church last Sunday morning. And that was really cool. It was exciting. Um, we had a record in giving as well, and we saw lots of people just get ministered to, lots of people come forward for prayer. And so God's doing some really cool things at the summit. And it's not just about how many people we can cram in here on Sunday mornings. It's about telling the message of Jesus to as many people as we possibly can. Because what changes people is not, um, is not good music or not some sort of slick presentation. What changes people is Jesus. So we want to make sure we get Jesus in front, of me, in front of as many people as possible. So if you can help us do that by shifting your schedule, Easter weekend a little bit, we would appreciate it very, very much. So thank you for that. Um, oh yeah, and the last thing real quick, don't forget April 19th, Daryl and Tracy Strawberry will be with us. Daryl was an eight-time Major League All-Star, um, played for the Mets and the Yankees, the Giants and the Dodgers, and um, just... He had two bouts of colon cancer. He, he did prison time for tax evasion, uh, drugs, uh, all kinds of things. Crazy story. And he and his wife, they've written a marriage book, which is kind of funny because they met each other in, in rehab. And so um, if you think your story's weird, like, you know, you don't, no Disney princess movies start with once upon a time, there were two drug addicts that met at rehab, you know, like, and then they all lived happily ever after. So if you have a marriage that's a little bit of a mess, or maybe you know somebody that their marriage is a little bit of a mess, invite them here that Sunday. They, they're going to want to hear this story. And now you don't want to invite them that way. Don't say, hey, you know what? Your marriage is a mess. And my pastor said I should invite you to church. So uh, don't do that. Okay. But get them here April 19th, that Sunday. So again, services those days will be at 8 a.m., 9.30 a.m., and 11 a.m. So uh, join us all through this Easter season. It's going to be great. Hey, we started a series at the beginning of this month called The Movement. And the premise of the series is that, uh, is that Jesus, when he envisioned the church, the premise is, is this church and is the church in general what Jesus envisioned when he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it? Is this what he had in mind? And as we've been examining this and looking through this, um, the word that Jesus used for church doesn't mean building, it doesn't mean location, it means ecclesia is the actual Greek word he used, and that means a gathering of people. And so when we look that we're supposed to be not just a, a, a group of people that worship together at a location, we're supposed to be a gathering of people that are organized for the purpose of impacting change and doing something incredible. That, that we're not just a group of people that worship together, we're a group of people that are making a difference in our community and our world together. We're a movement of people, a revolution of people against society. And again, I, not to freak you out, but we're not supposed to just blend into the world. We're supposed to stand out from the world because God has called us to be in the world, but different than the world. So God is calling us to be a movement of people, not just a group of people who happen to come to the same place once a week. And so that's really what we've been looking at. And so a few weeks ago, we talked about how our church would be a church of truth and grace, that we're going to talk about the grace of God, that I'm so thankful. Aren't you grateful that God loves us so much he sent his son to die for us, that, that we don't have to spend eternity in hell, that we can have an abundant life here on earth even? I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. And see, that's the grace of God. But there's also a truth element that comes with that that says that, that God is just and he's righteous and he's holy and he has very high standards. And it's not up to us and ourselves to meet those standards, but we take on the righteousness of Christ. And we 
There's still an expectation that we'll live a holy life, that we'll strive for holiness in our lives. It's not a get, grace is not a get out of jail free card that we go, hey, we got grace so I can live however I want. So there's an element of grace to what we preach about and what we talk about and how we live, but there's also a strong element of truth that it's not enough just to have the grace. We have to walk in truth because Jesus talked about this a lot. He talked about grace uh, being sent in grace and truth. And so that's what we talked about a few weeks ago. So today I, I want us to talk just a little bit about prayer. And I talked about, uh, on a topical level, I've talked about prayer a couple of times. Um, and so we're going to cover a little bit of different ground today than we have in the past. So let me just jump right into scripture. In Matthew chapter 21, uh, Jesus was going into the temple, which was common for him. And when he gets there, he sees a sight that is kind of disconcerting for him. He doesn't, he's not crazy about it. He gets to the temple and he sees money changers is what the Bible calls them. What they really were doing, they were, they were salesmen. And they, what they were doing is selling um, articles of worship. So they were selling sheep or lambs or dove or different things that people could use for worship in the temple. And they would, were selling those at a, at a steep price. So they were making a lot of profit off of the people that were coming to worship. And Jesus sees this and he's frustrated by it. And I love what Jesus does because he doesn't just go, well, you know what, I'm going to go home and pray for these guys. I'm just going to pray that God will minister to their hearts and I'm, I'm going to be quiet about it. But what did he do? I love how aggressive Jesus was. Because again, we think of Jesus as, um, you know, blue eyed and like thin beard and like all frail and waif like, and he talks with a British accent, but I think Jesus was tough, man. I think Jesus was a manly man, right? Like he was a carpenter, so he wasn't a weakling. He probably had, he was probably big. He probably had some broad shoulders and we see that what he did for a living was, man, he worked with his hands. So, I mean, he was a manly man. So what did Jesus do? He didn't just go, you know what? I'm going to pray for these guys. I'm going to pray for their soul. He went in there and he started kicking over tables. (laughs) I love this. He was like, you know what? I'm going to have some righteous indignation up in this place. And he started kicking over tables. One of the gospels says that he actually fashioned a whip together and started like driving them out of the temple. So it wasn't enough that he just drove them out, but he he, literally, he sat down and made a whip. Because I don't know about you, Jesus wasn't carrying a whip with him. He's not Indiana Jones, okay? So um, he, he sits down and he makes a whip and he's watching everything going on. He's like, man, it's, it's coming. Here it comes. And he finishes the whip and, you know, whoosh, and like, what's he doing with the whip? And he starts, and like people are, Wah! can you imagine money flying everywhere? People screaming. And the whole time, <laughs> Jesus just driving people out. And I love this because it sounds so counterintuitive to what we know of Jesus because he's supposed to be grace and love. And, but he's exercising truth here. Does that make sense? Um, This is what he says in Matthew chapter 21, verse 13. He says to them, it's written, my house should be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers because they were robbing the people of God. And he said, I'm not going to stand up to it. But what he does there is he draws this contrast and he says, my house is supposed to be called a house of prayer, but this is what it's turned into. This is what I envisioned it would be. And this is what it is. And so he's drawing this contrast and he says, this is not what I intended it to be. So what did he intend for it to be? A house of prayer. In fact, he's quoting scripture. He's quoting Isaiah when, when he, <laughs> don't you love it when you get in trouble and you're, you're being quoted scripture while you're getting in trouble? Like that was my favorite when my, my parents would be whipping me for something when I was a kid and they would be, you know, spare the rod, rod spoil the child and be like, I don't need the scripture. You're spanking me already, right? Like, and so Jesus is driving them out and he's quoting Isaiah to them while he's driving them out with a whip. And, and this is what the passage in Isaiah says, Isaiah 56 verses six and seven. 
It says, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be acceptable on my altar for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. And when God gave this word to the prophet Isaiah, the people of Israel were in exile. They were in captivity. And God gives them this word. And it's, it's really important because Jewish history says that God, God's people were Israel, period. And what begins to happen as we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we see it begin to expand. And we see God say, you know what? My salvation is not just for this nation. They're still my chosen people. And I still honor them as my people. But my salvation is for everyone. And we see this opening up in Isaiah. And in fact, even the words he says, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord. This is God speaking through Isaiah. He said, this is not just for the nation of Israel. This is for all people. And even as he closes that passage in verse seven, he says, for all peoples, my house shall be called the house of prayer for all people. This is not limited in scope just for a few who are lucky enough to be born in, in um, Israel. They're to be born Jewish. This is for all people, whosoever will, anybody. So no matter your background, your ethnicity, your socioeconomic situation, no matter how much money you've got or don't have, no matter what kind of house you live in or don't live in, this is for you. And I love that. What does he say? My house shall be called a house of prayer. And this is really important because I think on a cognitive level, we all understand prayer. We all understand we should pray, right? We feel guilty when we don't pray. We compare ourselves to other people and go, well, they probably pray a lot and I only pray for two minutes. Or man, I didn't even pray at all today. Or you pray the fall asleep prayer, you know, where you're laying in bed and you go, dear Jesus, thanks for everything you did for me. Pray. You know that one? You ever done that one before? Some of, some of you have done it in church. <laughs> like, man, this message is so good. Like, right now, that's okay. Whenever I see somebody sleeping, I just pretend like they're praying for me, so it's all right, don't worry. <laughs> so we know on a cognitive level we're supposed to be praying, right? Even people who don't follow God will still talk about prayer because they're religious. So how much more as, as followers of Jesus should we emphasize prayer in our lives? How much more should it be something that, that we that we center our lives around. Instead of being something that, oh yeah, it's another thing to do on my to-do list, or it's another task I've got to accomplish today. How much more should it be something that, that, that centers and focuses the whole rest of our day? And so that's what Jesus is talking about. Because again, remember the house of God is not this house. The house of God is this house. The temple of God is you and me. That's one of the reasons Jesus came is because now it's not about a physical location that, that's where the presence of God resides because the presence of God resides in each of us. So what Jesus is saying is my house, not just the temple, but your temple should be a house of prayer. I'm like, well, wait a second, Mel. I'd rather this be a house of prayer. And it is. We're, we're emphasizing that more and more. We're talking about prayer more and more. We're having more and more times of corporate prayer together because we want to emphasize that. But the truth is, it begins with you and me saying, I want this house to be a house of prayer. And prayer, sometimes it gets kind of one-sided because it's supposed to be an opportunity for us to connect with God, for us to petition God. Because let's be honest, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand. How many people have a need in this room? Raise your hand. Okay, virtually everybody. The babies didn't raise their hand. I get it, I get it, okay? They got a pretty good life. We all have needs, right? 
And it's foolish to say we can't petition God with our needs. We should. Just like you would ask your parents if you have a problem when you're a kid, right? Even as adults, don't you call your parents sometimes and go, golly, I'm having a bad day. I'm struggling with this. So this is what's going on in my life. Like I'm thankful that I can call my parents about stuff and complain or gripe or tell them what's going on. And that's what, there's supposed to be an element of that in that relationship, but that's not all your relationship should be because that's a lot of times where we draw the line and we go, okay, God, um, I've got this list of things I got to get done and I need you to do them for me. So here we go. It's a to-do list. And my wife, she doesn't like me to go shopping for her. Grocery shopping, right? Um, because inevitably what happens is she'll go, hey, can you go pick up a few things for me at the store? Yeah, what do you need? Uh, I need milk and bread and eggs. Does it seem like you never have enough milk and bread and eggs at your house for some reason? That's how it is in our house sometimes. So I just need a few things. And I go, okay. And so I go to the grocery store and I start walking around. And when I'm at the grocery store, I start seeing all these other things I need. Does anybody else do that? Or is that just me? Because I'm like, man, we, we are all out of nutty bars. And we need, we don't need the little, we need the big box of nutty bars. I mean, it's only three seventy five. Let's get the big box, right? Like, eh, it's okay. I'll throw them in. We're walking down the aisle, and oh, oh my gosh, did you see this? Like, oh, I mean, the, the, the M&Ms are on sale. Not, not the peanut-free M&Ms. I'm talking about the manly peanut M&Ms. And like, okay, we got to get a big bag of M&Ms. Or, hey, we got to get this. Man, my, my weakness is cereal, like cold cereal. Like, I don't know what it is. It's something powerful about being able to eat and drink your food all at the same time without thinking. Like, I don't know. It's just, I love it. And so I walked down the cereal aisle. It's like it's glowing to me. After our fast we did in, in January, I didn't eat cereal at all in February. I mean, in the month of January. And since then, I think I've only had one bowl. And it, <laughs> this is totally not annoying and not part of my message at all. Two days ago, I, I poured the, I decided I'm going to have a bowl of cereal. And, and I, I'm going all out. I'm not eating like bran flakes or something healthy. I'm eating the, like the Reese's Puffs. And so I, I finished the box. Okay. <laughs> I finished the box and I'm like, God, you are so good. Thank you for Reese's Puffs. And I pour the milk and I set the thing down. I start to eat. And I take a couple bites and I look at the expiration date. And this is the 20th that I'm eating this bowl of cereal. And the expiration date was the 16th or the 15th of the month. And I kept eating. <laughs> I'm just quivering as I'm eating. I'm like, okay, I might get sick from this, but it's going to be worth it. It's Reese's Puffs, right? So I'm walking down the cereal aisle. We don't even need more cereal, but what do I do? I'm going to buy more cereal. And I'm not going to get a box of cereal because usually I'll do name brand like Dr. Thunder versus Dr. Pepper. It's not even close. It's, it's Dr. Pepper. Why would you even buy Dr. Thunder? It doesn't make sense. So I'm walking down the cereal aisle. And this is the one area that I'll go, we'll skimp a little bit. Because when you get the bag, you actually get more cereal for less. So I'm like, I'm going to get the grocery bag, like the gigantic sack of cereal. And you get it for like $3. And I'm throwing that in. It's like a feed sack. You're like, whoosh, into your basket. And I get home and my wife's like, babe, I sent you to the grocery store to get this and this and this. And I'm like, I know, but I got carried away, right? But when she sends me a list, I'm like a man on a mission. Like I've got tunnel vision. I'm walking. I'm like, no, I need, I need um, diced green tomatoes or diced uh, what, fire roasted tomatoes. And like, I'm going to look all over that store for the diced fire roasted tomatoes until I can find the diced fire roasted tomatoes. And it might take me hours, but I'm going to find them, right? And so I get everything on my list and I get home and I'm good. And this is what we do with God sometimes. We go, okay, God, here are my, here's my grocery list. I need you to take care of my family. I need you to take care of my boss because if he was a better boss, I, my job would be easier. I need you to take care of my wife because if she was just nicer, then my, my marriage would be better. And man, help my kids to make better grades. And, and give me a raise too while you're on top of that. Okay, God, we good? Amen. You guys are, whoa, 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 wait a second. Prayer is supposed to be about a communication. It's supposed to be a two-way street. But what we do is, is we... we 
dumb it down to the point where we just sit and got our wish list. And that is not what God intended prayer to be at all. So prayer is supposed to be a two-way street where we not only tell God what we need, but we hear God and we hear his voice and hear what he needs or what he wants as well. Because do you know what? We have the ability to minister to God. We see that throughout scripture, that we have the ability to minister to God. And I think one of the ways we minister to God is when we hear his voice and respond to what he's asking us to do. My house should be called a house of people, a prayer for all peoples. Let me read this verse to you. Um, let me fast forward to Jeremiah. Again, in the book of Jeremiah, both major prophets, uh, Jeremiah, in the book of Jeremiah, the people of Israel were in captivity to the Babylonians. Uh, and they'd been in captivity for years. And Jeremiah gets this word from God in, in Jeremiah 29. And now I know where a lot of you are going. Some of you are thinking Jeremiah 29, 11, aren't you? Because Jeremiah 29, 11 says, for I know the plans I had for you, say the Lord, plans to prosper you, right? And those are verses we see on t-shirts and bumper stickers and mugs. And people quote that all the time. And that's great. It's a great passage of scripture, but that's not where we're going, Okay. <laughs> Let me back up in Jeremiah chapter 28. There was a different prophet and he got a word from God that, that he said was from God. And he gave the people this word and he said, hey, guess what? In two years, we're gonna be done with Babylonian captivity. And people celebrated. They were pumped. They couldn't wait. They were like, man, we've been waiting for so long to get out of captivity. He said, don't worry, just two more years and you'll be done. And people were excited about it, okay? But then Jeremiah came, came back and said, no, that's, 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 that's false. You're a false prophet. And God's going to prove that you're a false prophet. And he ended up dying. Okay? I mean, you know, it doesn't do well for your prophetic career when you die because you're a false prophet. Okay? So he dies. And Jeremiah comes back and goes, okay, hey, let, let me give you the real prophecy if that's okay. And this is where we'll pick it up in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4. This is the Lord speaking through Jeremiah to the people of Israel. It says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now, I want to stop right there. Did you hear what God said? to all the exiles who I have sent into exile. God didn't say who the Babylonians took into exile. He said, I have sent you into exile. Now, wait a second. That doesn't seem to reconcile with our understanding that God wants us to bless us and he just wants us to have everything we need. Sometimes I think God sends us into a season of exile, right? God sends us into a season where, where maybe there's some discomfort in our lives and some, some areas that, that Maybe we need to lean on him a little more. And so God says, I sent you into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Now listen to what he says in verse five. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have, the, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Now it goes on to say after that, um, you know, that we end that passage in verse seven. If you skip on down then to verse 10, basically God says, hey, yeah, um, I'm gonna bring you out of exile in 70 years. So in the meantime, get to living. <laughs> build houses, get married, let your kids get married, build a family. And then what's the last part of that? He says, he says pray for your community. Pray for the city that I've sent you. Because he says 70 years are going to pass. And then I'm going to bring all the good stuff that verse 11 says. So yeah, I know the plans I have for you. I haven't forgotten about you, but it's going to take a lot of while to get to your promise. In the meantime, this is what I've got for you. 
I want you to live your life, and I want you to pray for your city. So the part I want us to focus on for the next few minutes is this last verse, verse seven. It says, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. The word welfare there, it's translated from the, uh, the Hebrew word shalom. And you might've heard that word before. I've talked about it before. Shalom is a word that's loosely translated into English as peace. But when we think of peace, we think of an absence of conflict. We think of no fighting. So if, you know, when, when we say when we see things like peace in the Middle East, what we think is just let the Arabs and the Israelis get along. Like, don't let there be any fighting. Or if you are asking your kids to give you a little bit of peace and quiet, you go, can I just get some peace and quiet? What you're saying is, would you stop fighting or fight someplace else where I can't hear it, right? But that's not what the Hebrew word really means for peace. The Hebrew word shalom really means an absence or a lack of nothing in our lives. So what it's saying is that there's a fullness or a wholeness or a richness in our lives where we don't have anything we really ultimately need. And so when we look at this passage in, those, in that context and we see what God is asking us, it says, but seek the welfare or seek the shalom or seek the lack of nothing, if you will, of the city where I've sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare, you will find your welfare. See what happens too many times is we are praying for our welfare. God, take care of this and this and this and this and do this and help me here and bless me this way. And what we do is, is we're praying for all our welfare and we un, don't understand why it's not happening. But what we have to do is say, God, you know what? If I take care of the things that you want me to take care of, you're gonna take care of my things. Because what does God say? He said, pray for the welfare of your city. And if you do that, your welfare is gonna be taken care of. That's a pretty good deal, isn't it? Uh, how, how many of you would like God to show some attention to the welfare of your life? I would. And right here he says, the way you do that, guess what? You pray for the welfare of your city. And this is what happens when we do that. Something really powerful takes place when we begin to pray for others and not just ourselves. Um, and so I wanna give you a couple of points, just prayer emphasis, if you will, emphasize, emphases, emphases, anyway, whatever it is, the multiple of emphasis. I'm gonna give you a couple of them today. And if you would um, be thinking on these, if you need to take notes, there's only a couple, but take some notes and pray about these things. So I'm not gonna tell you all the ins and outs, but I just wanna tell you, these are some things I think you should be praying for. The first thing I think that, that goes a long way in bringing welfare to our city is the churches in our city. So what I want you to do as a people is pray for your church, okay? And specifically pray for your pastor and the leadership, pray for unity, but don't just pray for your church because I, I need it desperately, okay? If you've been around our church long enough, you know me, I am, I'm messed up. <laughs> I am flawed. Uh, I got some issues. I got some problems, just like every one of us in this room do, right? The difference is I just happen to be up here. I think God has called me to a different calling than you, and that's okay. But we are all flawed. We all need prayer, but especially me. I need your prayer. Pastor Dick needs your prayer. Our families need your prayer. We can't do this thing without your prayer. But I don't want to stop there because it's not just about our church. This is about our community because I I told somebody earlier in the earlier service, if every one of our churches or if, if the Summit Church was filled and we said, you know what? We got so many people coming. We need to have 12 weekend services. That would be exhausting. But if we had 12 weekend services and they were, every one of them were filled, you know what? There would still be thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of people in our community that need to know Jesus. So what needs to happen? God needs to take this ecclesia, this movement, and take it beyond our church to other churches in our community. What if we began to pray 
for, for Pastor Rick Hurley at Greystone Church? What if we began to pray for, for um, Mark and Bob and, and the Joe Ryer over at, at, at um, I almost called it Sovereign Grace, but Saving Grace Church? What if we prayed for Harvest? What if we prayed for Grace United Methodist? What if we began to pray that God would move in a sovereign way in other churches, that, that lost people would come to know him in their services, that they would begin to impact the community in huge ways? What would begin to happen if it wasn't just about us, but it was about other churches? as well. That's what God wants. He wants the welfare of our community. And our welfare of our community goes well beyond us. We can't do it all. You know what? There are a lot of um, pictures posted on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook this weekend from IU Patties. And, um, and we survived. I live right next to the campus and we survived IU Patties just fine at our house. It was fine. Um, but one thing we have to remember as a church, is that God has called us to influence culture and not step away from culture. Does that make sense? <laughs> I know you love that part. You're like, yay, right? God has called us to influence IUP and not just distance ourselves from them. Because it's easy when we see something different than us to go, okay, we're gonna keep our distance. We're just gonna, arm's length is good enough. But God has called us to embrace the campus and our community in a way that we can influence them. Because I can't influence anyone I don't have a relationship with. Are, are you following with me? In order to influence anyone, we have to have a relationship. And one of the easiest ways to begin a relationship is to begin to pray for them. When we pray for the welfare of the churches in our community and the organizations in our community, you know, we've got several in our church, Scott and Liz Wigner. Scott and Liz became members of our church a while back. They direct FCA on the campus at IUP. I'm so grateful for them. I pray for them because they have influence in areas I don't have influence in. So I pray for their welfare because I believe as I pray for their welfare, God's gonna bring uh, the, our welfare to a place that he can be glorified. I pray for the organizations in our community that, that are doing things we can't do because I believe that there's power in that unity when we come together. So pray for the leadership, pray for unity in our community. There's nothing, I usually say this in our membership encounters, I hate drama in churches, it's just ridiculous. I think nothing, nothing pushes more people away from God than drama in churches over stupid junk that doesn't matter. And it drives me crazy. And, and I hate drama in churches, but I really hate drama between churches too. It just is ridiculous because we're all in the body together and we're all working toward the same goal. So why in the world would we get territorial over something? And so I've just committed in my life, I'm gonna pray for these guys, every guy in this town. If there's ever gonna be a problem between our church and another church, it's not gonna be our problem because we're gonna pray for and support and love on every church in our community. We're gonna pray for their pastors. We're gonna be in relationship with them. We're gonna let them know we're in relationship with them and we're gonna do everything we can to bless the other congregations in our community because it's not just about us. It's about praying for the churches in our community as well. Let me read a passage of scripture to you. Psalm chapter 133. Actually, I'm gonna read the whole book I mean, the whole chapter of Psalm 133. Are you ready? It's only three verses, don't worry. It says in verse one, behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. If you've got kids, you understand this. Is there anything better than hearing your kids laugh together? Oh my gosh, I love it when my girls, I can hear them in the other room and they're laughing and they're, ah, they're just dying laughing. On the other hand, one of my least favorite sounds is when one of my girls will scream from the other room, daddy! Because what they don't realize is our house is not that big. And I've already heard their whole preceding fight. 
Like, I already know what's going on. I already know why they're going to come to me, right? Because I've already heard it. Because I can hear him say, I'm going to go tell dad. So I'm ready for it, right? So when you, you flip that, and I can hear my girls laughing together and getting along, there's nothing better than that. And I think God delights when he sees us getting along, when he sees us in unity, when he sees us loving each other well, taking care of each other. I think God comes alive in that. I think it delights him. Verse two goes on to say, it is like the precious oil on the head running down the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. So this is what the psalmist says. He says, he compares unity. um, He talks about it being like his kids playing together. But then he says, it's like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard of Aaron. What he's talking about is the anointing oil that's been poured over Aaron's head. And when they would anoint a king or they would anoint a priest, they would cover them with oil. Doesn't that sound like something you want to sign up for right there? Like, like, I just go, oh gosh, like, oh, that doesn't sound good at all. But what it would do is it would create a fragrance. It would create an atmosphere around that person because they couldn't wash that off. They couldn't go jump in the shower and hose off, you know, because that fragrance would stick with them. It marked them as different. And so this is what, this is what the psalmist is saying. When we walk in unity together, when we can live in unity as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we can live our lives together and share our lives together and be deep, intimate friends together, not just attend a church, but be a movement of people, what happens is it marks us. It's like that, that anointing oil gets poured over us and there's something different about us. The people sense it. They know it. We can't wash it off because we're just different. There's something about it. And he goes on to say, it's like the dew of Hermon. Hermon was a, a mountain that, that hardly ever had the ice or the snow leave. But what happened is that moisture would come off of that mountain and it would water the, through the dew. It would water this arid region. So what it's saying again is when people live in unity, it brings life to the people around it. When, when we live in unity together, when we believe in each other, when we love each other deeply and well, it brings life to our community. See, spiritually, I believe there are areas of our community that have deep, open crags in it. If you ever go to the South, I grew up in Oklahoma. I've spent a lot of time in Texas. It gets so hot, 115, 117 sometimes in the summer. It gets so dry and hot, the ground begins to split open. You have wide gaps, you know, where it's just cracked and just is longing for water. It was funny, I talked to my dad and they, they had some rain. He said, oh man, I'm glad we got rain, we needed it. And they understand the importance of rain. And so this is the thing though, Our community, there's some areas that have some deep crags and openings where it is dry and arid and they need rain. And this is what the psalmist is saying. When we live in unity, we bring moisture to that area. We bring life to that area. So what I'm asking you to do today is pray. Pray for the churches in our community. Pray for the leadership. Pray for unity in our churches like never before. And the last part real quickly is pray for your city in general. Pray for leadership. Pray for... Um, not just spiritual authority, but, but civic and civil authority. I knew this would be a really popular one. Let me read this from 1 Timothy chapter 2. And worship team, whenever you're ready, you can come on up. It says, first of all, then, I urge that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving may be made for all people. But then he specifies, he says, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. 
This was by far the least popular part of my message in the first service, so I'm, I'm, I'm ready. This makes it very clear to us that we're supposed to pray for those who are in authority over us. And this is not just in your church. This is not me saying, hey, you need to pray for me because I'm your pastor. I, I love for you to pray for me. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about people who are in high authority over us, like the president, for instance. I gotta be real careful with this. I don't know how you voted in the last presidential cycle, and I don't really care. This is what I will tell you. If we as a people would spend as much time praying for our president as we did complaining about our president, I think it would change something. But do you know what this verse is saying? It's not saying, let me get back so I don't miss this. It's not saying pray for your kings so that he would shift so that you could lead a peaceful, quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. What he's saying is pray for kings, pray for leaders, pray for those in authority over you, not because it's going to change them, but because it's going to change us. Because what happens when we begin to pray for people, it makes it real hard for us to hate people. When we pray for those who have done us wrong, it makes it hard for us to root for their demise. Pray for the kings and all who are in high positions. You, you might not have voted for President Obama, but whether you like this or not, God put him there. So we need to pray for him. You might not have voted for the elected officials in our area. That's okay. We need to pray for them because they need wisdom. They need guidance. <laughs> you might be so sick of what's going on in Washington, D.C. and Harrisburg, it makes you sick. It might make, you know, drive you crazy. That's okay. Why don't we try praying for them and believing for them and agreeing with them? Because again, it's not about changing them. It's about changing us. And God can't use us to impact our community when our heart is hard. I know you're loving this message right now. Some of you are like, Mel, are you on Facebook? Have you seen what I've posted lately on Facebook? Indeed, I have. <laughs> I have. This is the thing. I'm not trying to get you to adjust what you post on Facebook or don't post on Facebook. I'm not trying to get you to adjust who you voted for. What I'm trying to get you to do is let God adjust your heart to soften it and make it pliable and make him able to, to lead you in every area of your life. Um, I shared the story with the first service. You might have heard this. I, I shared it either Tuesday or Wednesday night in our conference, but this is a really long story, and I don't have time to share the whole thing. I'm going to make it real brief. Um, when I left my previous church in Oklahoma City, um, it was a church that I'd been in for several years. Uh, my, my sister and her family were part of our church. It was in my 15 minutes from my hometown. So a lot of familiarity. It was just cool what God was doing. I had a, a position of, of a lot of authority in that church. Um, really, the, the only person that had more authority in the church was my senior pastor. So, I mean, I was preaching a lot. I was communicating a lot, doing a lot of things. Um, and then God started shifting us where we knew we were going to be leaving. And I was like, wait a second, God, this isn't fair. Like, I'm pretty happy here. And, and little did I know at that time God would bring me here. And, and I love what God is doing here. I'm so excited about what God is doing here. I'm grateful. But when I was walking through that, it was a tough season for me. And as I was transitioning out of that church, um, there were a couple of people that worked for me and, and a guy that worked with me 
that I felt like kind of threw me under the bus and said some things about me that I didn't think were true. And, and um, so I had a lot of hurt and a lot of bitterness. And I'm just, I'm just being transparent with you guys today. So I don't know, probably three months after I got here, I got a phone call from one of those guys who, who I felt like had wronged me. And he just apologized, said, man, I'm so sorry. I, I was wrong. He said, um, I treated you dishonorably, but you're an honorable man. And I shouldn't have treated you like that. Would you forgive me? I said, yeah, absolutely. And so God began to bring some healing to my heart. A few months later, I, I got a, a Facebook message from another one of the guys and just said, man, would you please forgive me? I was wrong. I saw some things the wrong way. And I said some things. I said, yeah, absolutely. And so God be- continued to bring some healing. And I got to the point where I felt like I, I need to be the one to ask forgiveness from my coworker. And during the time that I left, my, my pastor of the church had left, and the guy that I felt like had wronged me was elevated to the senior pastor of the church, a large church. And so I was like, God, I don't, I was the one that was wronged. Like, why should I ask him to forgive me? Like, he threw me under the bus. Like, I got the tread marks on my back to prove it. Like, I promise, like, God, it's his fault, not my fault. God said, I don't care. You need to apologize. So, um, your pastor being the honorable man that he is, uh, decided to email him because I didn't want to talk to him. <laughs> so I emailed him and it was a good email, solid. I think I let my wife read it and just said, what do you think? She said, it's really good. So I sent him an email. I never heard anything back. So me being self-righteous and pious, started thinking, man, I apologize to him, but this guy can't even say, he can't even respond to my email. And I was like, well, thank you God that I'm not like him, you know, like in my heart, just self-righteous and prideful and and. A few, a few weeks later, I talked to a guy that was still on staff there, and he just said, oh, if he would have gotten that email, he would have responded. He, we've been having problems with the email. I'm like, God, come on. I'm like, Gah. So, okay, I'm going to give him a call. So I didn't call his cell phone, though. I called his office because he's a pastor of a church of several thousand. I knew he would not answer his office line. I didn't want to talk to him. So I called his office and left a voicemail said, hey, give me a call. I'd love to visit with you and never heard anything back. So I thought, okay, God, I, what am I supposed to do? You know, I, I wash my hands of this. My heart is right now, God. It's this guy that's wrong and my heart's good. And man, about three weeks ago, I just felt like God was saying, you didn't try your best. You just went through the motions. You didn't try your best. Call a cell phone number. Come on, God. So I picked up my phone and I called his cell. He didn't answer. I was like, all right, good. I left a voicemail. And I think I even said in the voicemail, you don't need to call me back if you don't want, just, you know. So about 30 minutes later, I'm sitting at the house and my phone is sitting on the, the, the coffee table. And the phone rings. I was talking to my wife and she looks and she goes, that, that was John calling. You go answer that call right now. And I'm like, all right. So I picked up, hello. And we ended up talking for about 30 minutes. And in that conversation, I just said, listen, man, I was wrong. I never said anything about you. I never did anything outwardly, but I know what was in my heart. My heart was wrong towards you. And I don't care what you did or what I thought you did. I don't care what you didn't do, but my heart was wrong. And I just want you to forgive me. Can you forgive me for, for what I did and how I was? I said, man, absolutely. And he said, I, I want you to know that I was wrong about you. And he apologized. And we just had this, it was just a really redemptive conversation. And if that was the end of the story, that would be good enough. I'd be like, okay, thank you, God. But about a week later, I knew at that point, he and I were not gonna be like best buddies or you know, we weren't gonna be like texting before we go to bed at night. Have a good night, we'll talk to you tomorrow. You know, it wasn't gonna be like that. As a matter of fact, I don't do that with anybody because I'm a man, okay? 
So anyway, I got this phone call from him about a week later and I see his call. I'm like, well, that's kind of weird. I'm thinking, what would he be calling him? So I answered the call. Hey, he said, hey man, I just want to visit with you for a second. I want to let you know, uh, we've been praying for God to bring us a harvest in our church. And I just got convicted that if we want God to bring a harvest, we've got to sow a seed. And so if it's okay, we'd like to sow a seed in your ministry. He said, I know you don't need the money. I saw your year-end video. I saw what God is doing there. It's incredible. God's blessing you guys. He said, but we want to sow seed into good soil. Man, you guys are good soil. So is it okay if we send you guys a check for $10,000? Yeah, I mean, I guess, whatever. (laughs) You want to send a check for $10,000, you can. I'm like, thank you, God. So I hung up the phone and I just said, God, okay, I, I get it. Like, I, I get it. Because I was obstinate toward God. I knew what God wanted me to do and I refused to do it. This is your pastor telling you this, okay? I refused to do it because my pride or because my hurt or because whatever it was I was holding on to. And then when I finally did it, God goes, okay, see, I wanted to bless you this whole time. I wanted to work in you the whole time. And the blessing, listen to me, people, the, the blessing wasn't, the check that we got in the mail, which was fantastic. Praise God for that, because we're, we're using that to bless other churches. In other areas, we're using that to see lives changed. But the blessing wasn't the check. The blessing was what God did in my heart, the confirmation he gave me, that when we do what he's asking us to do, he can bless us. And this is what I'm saying to you today. When we begin to pray for our community, begin to pray for our civic leaders, it makes it hard for us to hold a grudge and be bitter and to be hateful toward them. And all of a sudden it brings us into alignment with God's plan. It doesn't bring us into alignment with them necessarily, right? But it brings us into alignment with God's plan and that's where blessing lies in our lives. When we do what God's asking us to do, he can bless us. He can speak into us. He can reconcile things. He can shift our hearts to put us in position to work the way he wants to. So that's what I'm asking you today. Would you begin to pray for this church? Would you begin to pray for the churches in our community? Would you begin to pray for the the political leaders in our community and in our nation like never before? Because that's where change happens. Sometimes the change isn't external. Sometimes the change is right here in our hearts. And maybe that's what God wants to do. So let's just pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you that um, you love us in spite of us. You're crazy about us. God, I pray that you would give us a heart for our community, that you would give us a heart, Lord, not just to build this church, but Lord, to build your church, to build your kingdom. Lord, let us pray for the welfare of our community. Lord, for for people that have no homes to find homes, for people that have no food to be fed, Lord, let us care about what happens in our neighborhoods and in our communities. Lord, let us pray for IUP. Let us pray for the ministries of IUP. Let us pray for the churches in our communities that you would be glorified in every single one of them. God, give us that heart. We can't do that on our own. We can't will it to happen. But God, as we submit ourselves to you, God, I pray that you would shift our hearts so they can glorify you. So Lord, have your way with us over the next couple of minutes. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, you know, we talked about salvation at the beginning in Isaiah where it talks about salvation being for all men for all people. If you're here today and you don't know salvation, you don't know what it looks like to walk with God, but you want to, you want to have a relationship with Jesus, you want to make sure your life is right with God, I just want to ask you, would you just raise your hand and let me pray for you? I'm not going to call you forward. I don't want to embarrass you. I just want to pray for you. Thank you. Who else would say that's me? Pray for me. Thank you. Over here on my left, you can put your hand down, sir. Awesome. Who else? Say that's me. Pray for me, Mel. Thank you. Over here on my left by the sound booth. I see you. 
Fantastic. Who else? Just a few more seconds. You say, that's me. Man, I need God's salvation. I want to know him. I want to have a relationship with him. Thank you. Awesome. Just a few more seconds. Anybody in the balcony as we're looking around? Okay. I want every person in the place just to repeat this simple prayer after me. Everyone in the room, whether you raised your hand or not, just repeat this prayer. Dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. You loved me at my worst. And I commit to give you my best. I'm gonna follow you for the rest of my life. And I'm never going back to my old life. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, can we give God a round of applause for that? Thank you, Jesus. You're good. Thank you, Lord. Now listen, if, if you raised your hand, there's a prayer card in that seat back in front of you. We want to do our best. We don't want to just create converts. We want to create disciples. We want to help you grow in your faith. So if you raised your hand, you prayed that prayer. Maybe you didn't raise your hand, but you prayed the prayer and meant it. Take that prayer card out. Fill out the side that talks about your decision today. And we want to get in contact with you and help you take the next step in your journey with Christ because you are not in this thing alone. Let me pray one more prayer of you. So bow your head and close your eyes. God, I thank you in this place that there are men and women here that want to be world changers. The Lord, we want to change our community. We want to see you work here. And God, I pray that you would give each of us a heart for you like never before, but God, give us a heart for our community like never before. Lord, let us begin to pray for the welfare of the other churches in our town. Lord, let us pray for the welfare of the political leaders in our town and in our areas. God, I pray that you'd give us a heart for them. And as we do, God, our heart's gonna be lined up with yours and we're gonna see incredible things happen in the lives of people of this church. So God, I pray your blessing on us. Lord, give us a mind, give us eyes to see hurting people that we will respond to that. So God, be glorified through us as we pray for your community and your people. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hey, listen, this is what's going to happen now. Uh, we're going to worship together one more time, one more song, and then we're going to be dismissed after that. And our prayer team is going to be available on either side of the stage. So if you need prayer today, come find one of our prayer team members. We want to agree with you in prayer. There's also a prayer card in that seat back in front of you. If you fill that card out, drop it in one of our offering boxes on your way out the door. We're going to pray with you about that in our staff meeting uh, tomorrow, or tomorrow afternoon. And then finally, if you're watching online or if you think of a need later, email us your prayer need at prayer at summittogether.com and we're gonna pray with you about your need, whatever it is. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room and let's worship God together one more time before we're done today. I give you my trust, Jesus. And you are my God. And that is enough, Jesus, Jesus, my heart is yours, my heart is yours, take it all, take it all.
have a few announcements and a video that we're going to show you before you go. But my name is Kim Massengale. I am Mel's wife and um, his better half. And uh, it's good to see you all today. If you're a guest with us today, I want to encourage you to fill out the card that's in the seat back in front of you and redeem it for a free coffee at our cafe today. We would just love to, to give that to you. So if you are a guest, welcome. We're so glad to have you. And then we have some awesome things coming up. This weekend is our egg scramble. We are teaming up with the YMCA. We're going to be doing it at Mac Park at 1 o'clock, and we will have 25,000 Easter eggs, which is insane. Um, but this is going to be a great outreach to our community. We want you all to come out, invite your friends, spread the word on social media. And if you would like to help with this event, you can sign up in the lobby. We would love to have you involved in this outreach. And then how many of you know that Pastor Matt can't possibly pack 25,000 Easter eggs all by himself? So we are having our final Easter egg stuffing party this Tuesday night at 6.30. Come out and join us, stuff some Easter eggs. Um, again, you're taking part in an amazing outreach uh, this weekend that's going to impact lives. And then tonight is our membership encounter at 5 o'clock. If you're interested in learning more about our church, we would love for you to attend. You can sign up in the lobby. And then on April 17th is our next women's event. How many of you have, how many of you ladies have come to any of our events that we've done so far? Oh, a lot of you. Well, my good friend Lael Ewing is coming from Oklahoma City. She is a worship pastor at our former church. She's a member of the band War Acres. You can Google them. Uh, they have a YouTube channel, and uh, she is an incredible songwriter. She's 25 years old. She's an incredible worship leader. We're going to have a night of worship, a ton of fun. It's only $5. You can register at summittogether.com or online. Um, I'm sorry, online at summittogether.com or in our bookstore. And we have these invite cards. If you want to invite your friends, which I encourage you to, it's going to be an incredible night. You can grab these out in the lobby. 
And you know, most of all, like I love that the summit cares about seeing lives changed. That's really what we're about. We wanna see every life made different in our community. And real quick, I wanna show you a life that has been made different by attending the summit. I guess my story kind of started when I was a child. I grew up in a family of, I call them priesters, so like we only went to church on Christmas and Easter. So growing up, we didn't really talk about God that much. Um, I called myself a Christian, but didn't know what that meant at all. Um, when I was in middle school, I was around the age of 13, I started noticing that my family was fighting a lot. Um, my parents were getting into just crazy fights, and I realized that my dad was suffering from depression. Um, due to his depression, he started becoming reliant upon alcohol and dependent upon it. Um, and that just triggered fights even more often. So home was a really tough place for me to be at. Throughout middle school and high school, I did a lot of gossiping and just kind of two-faced. On the inside I was so angry and so I would talk behind you know my best friend's back just as I could be friends with someone else. The first time I ever got invited to youth group was in ninth grade. Um, it was by my friend Gina and it was the first time that I ever felt welcome somewhere and started to realize that wow this this God thing is real and um, he's just so good and um, captivating and so I was really interested in the Bible and God and figuring out who he was. I guess going into college I started to re-examine my own heart and figure out you know who's the woman that God wants me to be um, and that involved a lot of making new friends and um, I don't know just making Christian friends. I guess throughout college I didn't realize how important it was to have a church family, but when I started coming consistently and getting involved with the youth group, I realized that it was the greatest decision I ever made in college. So up until about six months ago, I hadn't spoken to my dad in about three or four years. Um, I guess I was just holding kind of an angry heart towards the things that he said previously um, and the ways that he acted towards my family members and me. Um, I didn't really want much to do with him and I could love on so many people but the only person that I was holding off loving was my own dad. Um, throughout this past summer, um, God kind of really, really worked in my heart. He showed me a whole nother um, part of him and it was this father part. Um, one that was loving and forgiving and proud of me. Because of how much he loved me, I kind of had this burden on my heart to forgive my father. Um, every time that I prayed, no matter what I was praying about, in the back of my mind, my dad kept coming up. And I took that as like a very clear sign that I need to start re-examining my relationship with my own dad. He opened my eyes to who my dad is through his eyes, if that makes sense. Um, I started seeing this precious son instead of this angry dad that I had. It was definitely the hardest thing that I've ever had to do. Um, I was scared to see what his reaction would be. I was so nervous, um, but <laughs> the moment I saw him, I started crying because I knew that this was the right thing to do. I knew that God was working through this moment and working through me and my dad um, and that it was the right thing. Now my dad and I talk once every few months 
And when we do talk, I feel a lot better about a relationship. It's a lot healthier than it's ever been before. Um, I feel free from a burden that I've been holding for so many years. And God was so forgiving towards me for holding that burden. I am now able to move on with my relationship with God instead of holding in one spot and just staying there until I forgive my dad. Um, one of those areas was definitely deciding to serve with the youth at the summit. And I go every Wednesday and we just kind of hang out and it has been the greatest thing that's happened to me in college, really. When I was that age, I was going through so much with my family life. that, And that's actually when I realized who God was. So now I'm able to minister to those students and serve them in any way that they need. I also love it because I can relate to them um, and I can help them by giving them advice and help them by really digging into the word and praying with them and being there for them just in general. It's just, it's an incredible feeling knowing that God has had his hand over my life this entire time so that I can be prepared to serve girls at that age now. I just know that God has placed me here at the summit and at you for a reason and that I am making a difference in some of their lives and even more they're making a huge difference in mine. Thank you, Brandy. I know it's um, a little intimidating to watch yourself on video, but it was really good. We love you. You know, Brandy's life has been changed because of generosity, because you give, we're able to reach our community and reach our city. And when you give, we see lives changed. We see people be able to come in these doors that might not otherwise enter. And, um, you know, you're making a difference, not only here in Indiana, but in our region and throughout our world when you give to the summit. And if you would like to give today, um, you can do it by check by making it out to the summit and giving in our offering boxes at each exit when you, when you exit the building. And then also if you need to give cash, there are offering envelopes in the seat back in front of you that you can give that way. You can also give online by clicking the online giving button on our website, or you can also do it by your mobile device by texting Summit PA to 77977. Let me pray over our offering and then you'll be dismissed. God, I thank you for your blessings. God, I thank you that when we give, God, you bless our finances. You bless so many different areas of our lives, God, and I Thank you for every single person that, that gives, that gives to make a difference, to see lives change. God, I thank you for every soul um, that comes to know you through our giving, God. And we just love you so much, God. I pray that you would bless each and every person this week as they go. And God, we give you all the glory in Jesus' name, amen. Well, Mel and I are honored to serve you, and we pray and hope that you have a wonderful week, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To watch this message on video, go to summittogether.com.